John chapter 13. Um, I think in the bulletin it might say 1 through 20, but I'm just going to read 1 through 17. A familiar episode in the life of Jesus. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that from that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed. Blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Lord, I pray just as we uh, enter into this um, time right now that you would open our hearts, our ears, our minds. Um, Would your spirit within us hear what you want us to hear, teach us what you want us to know. Just sense your presence. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the, the title of this sermon this morning is Humilitas, which is Latin for humility. Um, so why, why a sermon on humility? Um, it's kind of off of the countercultural series, which we've been following the New City Catechisms, but it is countercultural. Humility would be countercultural. Um, but gratefully, and David, in his kindness toward me, says, hey, Brett, just, you know, teach or preach whatever you want. So I'm always grateful for that. He gives me a lot of freedom in that. And the reason I chose humility was because um, it is what God has been doing in my life. Um, over the last six months to a year. So it's very real for me. It's something that I've been um, thinking a lot about, learning, desiring, um, and aware of. And in this past year, uh, I realized that maybe I have less humility than I thought I did, or maybe it was a realization that I have more pride than I actually thought. So I'm just learning a lot about humility, so that's why I wanted to talk about it this morning. Um, You can't talk about humility without talking about pride. Um, Humility is one end of the spectrum. Pride is the other. It's hot and cold, on and off, light and darkness. 
Um, so if pride, which has been said, is the um, chief and root of vice, humility is the chief and root virtue. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are more mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It's the root. It's the one vice that all other vices grow out of. So humility is the other. It's the virtue that all virtues grow out of. Andrew Murray said this, humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. Humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with the others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but my sense is that we um, talk a lot more about pride than we do humility. We talk about the dangers of pride, the fact that pride is um, uh, the reason that we do a lot of the things that we shouldn't do. But I I just don't hear us um, lifting up this virtue of humility very much. It, It seems to me that we should talk about it more than we do if it is what it um, claims to be, the chief virtue, the virtue that all other virtues flow out of. I started thinking about some of the words that are associated with humility, and I thought maybe this is the reason we don't talk about humility as much. Words like resignation, submission, dependence, nothingness, meek, lowly, servant, yield, self-abasement, least, no reputation, less, helper, self-effacement. Maybe it's no wonder we don't talk about humility because those necessarily aren't the things that we strive for or wake up thinking about. I want to be nothing. I want to be less. I want to surrender. I want to give up. Um, so it, when we think about it in that way, it makes a little sense maybe that we don't talk about humility more than we do. But I want this morning for us to talk about it. I want to talk for the next few minutes just about what is humility. Um, I have two hopes, prayers, maybe goals, but they're only going to be accomplished if the Holy Spirit does this. But this would be the two, my two hopes and prayers for this morning, um, that you uh, might be convinced, like I have been, that the chief and most distinguishing character or quality of Jesus was his humility. Do you hear that? That the chief distinguishing distinguished distinguishing characteristic quality of Jesus is his humility, and that he taught more on humility than he did anything else. If that is true, then shouldn't we be talking about humility all the time? Shouldn't we be seeking humility? Um, If we were asked that question, um, I think I know what my answer might have been before I started looking at humility would have been, oh, his chief characteristic was love, or he taught more about love than anything else. As I've been reading the scriptures and just um, doing this uh, look at humility, I think it's humility. I wanted to read just a few. This is just a small sample of scriptures um, that might support that. I hope it does. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jack read it earlier. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. Luke 9:48. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. The, Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. Luke 14, 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Luke 22, 26, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. Again, a small sample. And then you can't talk about humility without reading Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Obviously, these are Paul's word, not Jesus's, but they speak to the humility of Jesus. Therefore, if, any have, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. If your relationship, in your relationships with one with another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That humility is the chief distinguishing characteristic of Jesus, that he taught more on humility than anything else. That's the first goal, that maybe you're convinced of that. And the second would be that wherever you are on the humility pride spectrum, or your level of humility, wherever that is, that you would desire, that God would give you a desire for more of that, that you would begin to go, I want that humility in my life. All right, let's uh, jump right in. I want you to, for a second, I'm gonna ask you a question and then give you just a brief silence, but I want you to think about the answer. Just don't say it out loud, just in your head. Who do you know who you would consider to have humility? Think about the people in your life. Who do you know that you think, that's a humble person? Next question. How do you know? What about that person makes you think that they are humble, that they have humility? It's kind of hard to think about sometimes, but normally there's somebody that pops to mind. Obviously, unlike Jesus, we can't see people's heart, but we see the things they say, what they do, and maybe in that, we kind of go, that must be a humble person. Um, so we're looking at um, an outward uh, example of humility, and we're going, that might be humility. It might be, because humility is about the heart, but that looked like an act, or those were words of humility. I have a couple of fun little stories about um we might see or hear about these and go, oh, that's a humble person. 
Uh, there's a story about Sir Edmund Hillary. Uh, in 1953, he and his Sherpa mountaineer, Tansing Norgay, 1953, were the first ones to climb Mount Everest. Wow, big deal. He's from New Zealand. So he, um, pretty well-known, famous climber, raised, I mean, is lifted up in New Zealand as this great man, and he was. And he devoted a lot of his life to the people in Nepal. But the story is this. So he's in Nepal like he normally was, and there was a group of climbers there, and they, they recognized Sir Hillary Edmund, and they asked him to be in the picture with him. So Sir Edmund Hillary goes over and says, sure, and stands in the picture, and they give him an ice pick, which you use to climb, and he's holding it, and the people are around him like this, and he's holding the ice pick. And then right about that time, another person walked by, saw this photograph happening, and came up to Sir Edmund Hillary, not knowing who he was, and told him that he wasn't actually holding the ice pick correctly. So he adjusted the ice pick in his hand, and Sir Edmund Hillary said, thank you. And he held the ice pick differently, and then took the picture. Um, that would be like, wow, what a, I mean, here's the guy that, first guy that ever climbed Mount Everest, um, and this person was correcting him on how to hold an ice pick. Uh, humility. Um, Sully, you've maybe seen the movie, heard the story, landed the airplane in the Hudson River. Um, in, a, in an interview, he was asked, do you think you're a hero? Um, and he said, I don't think so. A comedian friend of mine said, He's a hero who doesn't think he's a hero. What a hero. <laughs> uh, humility. Um, this idea that the right hand doesn't even know what the left hand's doing. This idea that Sully possibly really didn't think he was a hero. He was just doing what he did, flying airplanes. But this morning, we're going to take a couple minutes to look at the second best example of humility ever. Uh, the first, obviously, being Jesus' death on a cross. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But I would say the second greatest example that he gave uh, was washing his disciples' feet, John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. I've heard it said, read it, you've heard it too, that when people know that they're going to die, which Jesus knew, with, this is within 24 hours, this is the night before his death, He's with, having his last supper with his disciples. He knows tomorrow that he's going to hang on a cross. So the things that they say and do in that last 24 hours or whatever that time frame is kind of rise to a new level. Pay attention to what people teach and say and do, who they want to be with right before they die. Jesus knew that that was going to happen to him the next day. And then um, I love that John added this line before he actually got into the story of Jesus um, washing the feet. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. It's almost as if John's saying, before Jesus could actually do what he was about to do, he had to know three things. He had to know that everything was God's. This was all about God. God was everything. He was the all and that he had to know where he came from, that he was the son of God. He wasn't worried about what other people thought. He wasn't trying to create an image or worried about that. He knew where he came from. His identity was secure in Christ. I know where I've come from. And then it also says, and he knew where he was going. 
He knew that his eternity was secured. He was gonna be with the Father forever. So he didn't have to do something to earn that. He knew it already. So he moves in to this act of humility. All things are God. My identity is secure in Christ, and I know where I'm going. And then it says, he rose from supper. As I've been thinking about this, I've tried to imagine what that would be like. I even tried to think of a modern example that would be similar to what's happening here, and I couldn't think of a thing. You're a disciple. You're sitting around a table with Jesus, and he stands up. I just think they're looking, what's he doing? He stands up. He takes a towel. He wraps it around him. He fills a basin with water. I'm imagining complete silence, confusion. What's he doing? And then he kneels down gets down to their level, the level of their feet, and begins to wash their feet. Scott Broughton and I were talking just before the service. It's unimaginable. Unimaginable that Jesus, the Lord, the creator, would stoop so low to wash the feet of his disciples. Um, At somewhere along the way, he washed Judas' feet. And I imagine he looked in Judas's eyes and he knew that he was going to be, he was the one that was betraying him, but yet he washed his feet. Then it says he got to Peter and Peter being Peter, just like Peter had done many times before, um, speaks a lot of times before he thinks. And he says, uh, Jesus, do you wash my feet? I, I love that about Peter because I think he is it's understanding this shouldn't happen. You are master, teacher, Lord. You shouldn't be washing my feet. He gets that. He understands that this is not the way it should be. This is upside down. It's flipped around. It's countercultural. Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will later. Because Jesus realizes that tomorrow you will watch me humbly give up my life. And then three days later, I will rise from the grave. And you'll understand what I'm doing for you. Never, Peter, never, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus responds, if you, don't, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part in me. It's not about the foot washing. He's actually referring to, if you're not washed, like we just sang, in the blood of Christ, if you're not white as snow by my atoning blood, then you have no part in me. I must wash you. You must be washed by my blood. Then Peter, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Uh, Peter understands who Jesus is. He understands um, that it's not the right, not the way that it should be. Then we get down to verses 12 through 17, and it's just a teachable moment. Jesus knew all along what he was doing. He was giving them an example of what to do. He said, you've seen what I've done, right? I am your teacher, and I am your master. Many of us, when we think about humility, we think about that Tim Keller quote, which is a great one where it says, where Tim Keller says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Well, Jesus did not think less of himself. He actually knew, yeah, you're right. I am teacher and Lord. You're right, that's who I am. But I'm not thinking about shooting myself when I wash your feet. I'm thinking about you. So he says to you and to me, wash one another's feet. Does that mean we go home today and take off our shoes and wash each other's feet? I think it's really saying, I want you to have humility 
the humility that I just displayed before you have humility. And then he says, if you know this, go do it. It's the greatest example of humility that, um, again, next to the cross that I can imagine. So I hope you're asking yourself right now the question, how can I, um, what can I do to have more humility? What can I do? I have an answer. I'm nothing. <laughs> wow. You can't do anything. Emphasis on the you to have more humility. But Jesus can. The more of Jesus in you and the less of yourself, the more humility you have. The less pride in you, the more humility you will have as Jesus fills that in. I like this. It's... um. You might say, uh, Jesus, give me humility. And this idea is like he has this gift of humility and he's going to give it to you. Here's humility. It's really not like that. It's, uh, Jesus says, I am humility. So when you have me, you have humility. It's not something I give to you as it's apart from me. It actually is who I am. So when we think about that question, I want more humility, the answer really is, I want more of Jesus. Because the more that Jesus is inside you and me, then we are going to have that humility. I said at the beginning, one of my hopes and goals was that you would desire it, that God would give you a desire for humility. Maybe a little challenge might be, what if for the next week, you scrapped everything you're doing about reading your Bible or praying about whatever you're praying, and you just prayed, Lord, give me a desire for humility the humility that of, of your son Jesus, would you give me a desire for that? How would that change us? How would that make us different? I don't want to minimize um, acts of humility. I think they're great. Serving the least of these, um, that's a good thing. So we ought to practice humility in those tangible ways, but not for the sake of, wow, Brett is such a humble guy. You know, that, that's actually pride. <laughs> that's not humility. Um, so what we're going for is a change of the heart, that our heart would be changed. But I do believe that when we practice humility, when we do tangible acts of serving others, it does shape and form our heart. Because what we're about is heart change. We're not about uh, displays of humility so other people can notice us. Like I said earlier, the right hand shouldn't even know what the left hand is doing. We ought to be living humbly because Jesus is in us, not because we even know we're living humbly. He's a hero doesn't think he's a hero. What a hero. So we should practice humility as well. In closing, um, I think what I've been talking about is just the gospel this whole time. What we need is forgiveness, but we can't have forgiveness without humility, and we can't have humility without Jesus, and we are totally and utterly dependent on him to give us himself. And Jesus, in his love and humility, gives us what we need, forgiveness, by humbly going to the cross and dying for us so that we could receive that gift humbly, knowing that we did nothing to deserve it. And we get forgiveness. We get a new identity. We get abundant life, and we get the promise of eternity. And we get Jesus and his humility. Like I said at the beginning, my hope is that um, 
that there would be a desire in you, that God would put a desire in you, that he would put a desire in me for his humility. Not for pride, that be less pride and more humility in my life. If that's the chief virtue, if that is the distinguishing characteristic of Jesus, then we would want that more and more in our life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you showed us what humility looked like in your son Jesus. As he washed the feet, as he went to the cross, as he taught on humility, as he lived a humble life, as he was born in the stable, um, we can just see the humility of him. Lord, would you, our prayer is that you, would you put a desire in us for more humility, which is really more of you in our lives. Lord, we thank you for every reminder of the gospel and humility being one of those. And also as we share together in your meal, we are reminded of our utter dependence upon you and of your gracious, humble gift that you offered us on the cross. So Lord, prepare our hearts now as we come before your table. In Jesus' name, amen.